This is Free Talk Live. The toll-free number for you is 800-259-9231. That's the packet8.net toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. We seem to be having some severe problems with our Internet stream right now. I don't know if it's working, so if you're listening on the Internet... uh, I'd like to know if you are. 1-800-259-9231. We've got lots to talk about, as always, as we launch into uh, yet another week of uh, fun and excitement here on Free Talk Live, including an update on the Boston situation. You remember when they blew up their own stuff? Is that, is that the one you're updating, or are no, you no, updating no. on the Lightbright boards? The Lightbright boards. Okay. Well, either way, one of the dumb Boston situations. We'll give you an update on that. Uh, but first, to the phones, to the fun, let's go to Kenneth in Colorado. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Kenneth, on the Amplifier line. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey, what's on your mind? Well, I'm calling about uh, something called the Principles of 98. Um, Just recently, well, it seems more and more recently, um, you've been talking on the air about uh, people's rights being encroached on by the federal government, uh, seemingly more than by local governments. And um, in many cases, it has to do with medical marijuana or the national ID or something where the uh, state government officials are led to believe that they're helpless and that they can't do anything about it. And, in fact, there is something they can do about it. It refers to the principles of 98. Um, A gentleman named Thomas Woods, who wrote the book A Politically Incorrect Guide to American History, indicated that in 1798, um, shortly after the federal government was created by the states, the states of Virginia and Kentucky recognized that the states created the federal government and that they should be able to control the federal government. Okay. Um, Normally, uh, the way we see this happening is the states ratified the Constitution individually, and every time there's an amendment to the Constitution, they ratify every amendment. Therefore, the states ought to be able to use some principles in order to control the federal government, including some we've heard of before, such as secession, and uh, also things like nullification. You may recall that um, essentially federal police are a, a newcomer to the law enforcement in the United States. They didn't always exist. And what they believed is that by nullification, states could refuse to enforce federal laws that they felt were unjust or unconstitutional such as the national ID, such as drug enforcement on people who grow their own medical marijuana, perhaps, and smoke. Um, I wanted to raise people's awareness of this issue so that they can read up on it and possibly, it's a sort of a touchy libertarian issue because we're talking about encouraging the states to do something here, but possibly encourage people in the state house to use the concepts of nullification and other principles of 98, which they can read about on the Internet. So how can you do that? In order to try to beat back the federal government. How can you do that? Well, for example, um, states can refuse to enforce federal laws. Well, of course, then they'll refuse to get – then the federal government will refuse to hand out money to the states – and they they do really like getting money from the feds. Well, it certainly could lead to a, a secession issue, yeah. Because um, and it could issue like you've been you've talked about before. It could lead to a situation where um, you've, you're pretty much just chasing federal federal government officials out of your state. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you're talking I about something that's that, going to require some very courageous individuals to be in well, the state house and senate. I mean, that's just that's something that's not happening today. 
there's another possibility. In the case of something like federal marijuana, uh, I mean, medical marijuana, you're dealing with a lot of states that are starting to, to agree with that. And if the number of states that agree with it outnumber the states that disagree with it, it can be brought up in, I believe they have conventions for what's called the Uniform Commercial Code. There are ways, a lot of people think that, well, the only way the states can get anything done together as one is to go through the federal government. That's not true. The Uniform Commercial Code has existed for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And I'd say that they could use the Uniform Commercial Code as a way to codify what the states think independently of the federal government. And um, Now, are I you a lawyer, Kenneth? I mean, you seem to know a lot about this stuff. Are you well, a lawyer? I've read about it is all. I see. You know what? You might but, you want know, to I've consider doing it. I've read about people on LouRockwell.com Lou and fairly reputable sites. Right. You know, it's not, you know, it's not crack pottery or anything. I like, like, I like the ideas, and it sounds like you know what you're talking about. You know what you might want to consider doing is joining the Free State Project and uh, coming here to New Hampshire and actually running for office so you can sort of lead the way on, on ideas like this. Well, I'm sure, sure aware of the Free State Project, and uh, I've called before. Um, I'd like to move. Uh, right now, it's not something that's easy for me to do, um, particularly politically with my family. But uh, Well, that's okay. Uh, uh, I mean, we, this is a long-term project. Uh, I mean, sure. the Free State Project has a plan to move 20,000 people, as you already know, uh, to the state right. of New Hampshire, 20,000 liberty-minded people. And once uh, the Free State Project reaches 20,000, there's a five-year window of which those people have to move. So, I mean, you're sure. looking at at least five years, probably more than that, before well, everybody's supposed to be here. I'd encourage free staters certainly to look at the, look at it as another possibility, another thing. The reason I called is because a lot of people, including myself, hadn't heard about it. You know, they certainly don't teach it in in your normal history. That's why you have to dig into books called the Politically Incorrect Guide to American History to find these things. Mm -hmm. And um, that's the reason why I brought it up because I think uh, if people know about these things, then people can actually use them to to their advantage and you know encourage their. Um, Great. Uh, people around them to, to leverage them. Kenneth, well, I'm glad you called, and thank you for it. We appreciate it. 800-259-9231. I wish that uh, some people in state governments had the courage to do some of the things he's suggesting. It's just they don't. I mean, uh, it seems like the politicians in state government only uh, lust after being politicians in the federal government anyway. They're just hoping to graduate beyond where they are and, and uh, move on to Washington, so they don't want to do anything to uh, rock the boat um, as you know, in in that respect, and they don't want to they want they don't want to curtail the federal government's power. Um, I don't know. I I I hear what he's saying, and and it could very well work. And I hate to be a naysayer for somebody who's out there proposing to do something. Um, but you know, it doesn't seem it, it's it's not the direction that uh, I would imagine. You know, taking my political act active. Act, um, well, activism. why not? And I I just think that it's a better idea to to take your state, make it free. Um, well, that's free... what he's talking about doing. You make it free by telling the federal government to go piss off. If you can get, um, if you can get twenty six other, uh, twenty five other states to agree with you with the, with this interstate compact. Well, uh, that's with the UCC thing. I was I was more focused on the earlier portion of his call where he suggested just nullifying federal law. And you've actually talked about that before. I, I'm, I'm for that. I mean, right. I don't, that's I don't, what I'm talking about. I don't about, see where, any reason that a state agency should be enforcing federal laws. Where New Hampshire says no. Um, we, we're going to make it so you can legally smoke marijuana here, and if you want to send your DEA agents in, we'll send our state police after them and throw them in the clink. And that's I, what I'm talking about. Well, um, you know, I, 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 I expect you'll probably see medical marijuana legalized before you see marijuana legalized in New Hampshire, but, you know, I'm I understand all for it. the process. I'm just talking about the enforcement of the law. 
And I think it makes sense, and I think that it's not un- unreasonable to have somebody a- out there campaigning with those ideas. I think to an I, I, extent I, they'd be popular. I'm not saying it's unreasonable. I'm just saying that it's not the direction that I would be taking things. Um, you know, it, it seems so you a lot just easier. let the DEA come in and no and jackball. I said that um, I'm talking about the interstate compact stuff. Okay, and you're disagreeing with me. Right, well, on we weren't a talking about subject. that. We were talking about you, the earlier. You were part talking of the call. about something else. All right, whatever. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. I thought it was pretty clear that I shifted conversation back to the earlier portion of the call. Let's talk to Daniel in Ontario. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello. Hi there. Um, I wanted to talk about hooking up that you talked about on Saturday. Yes, sir. Please do. I don't know if uh, someone else covered it because I only listened to about half the podcast, but I'd like to talk about the state's role in, in fostering that kind of behavior. Hmm. We're talking about, uh, just so um, just so our listeners just tuning in understand, there was uh, an issue over the weekend about this cultural phenomenon called hooking up. It's young people essentially going uh, meeting one another randomly, and uh, I guess in some Not cases you know the person. Randomly. In some cases you know the person, and you are uh, these young people are essentially satiating whatever sort of physical desire they might have, whether it be uh, for a little bit of uh, kissing, uh, making out, or all the way to sexual intercourse. Hooking up can mean any one of those things. It seems a little indiscriminate. It seems a little risky. Uh, I'm not against sex at all, but it seems that uh, this hooking up process is a little bit questionable. Your thoughts? Well. Um Back in the day, uh, before we had forced redistribution of wealth, uh, if, if uh, a young woman got pregnant out of any sort of commitment from a man to take care of the child, um, then they'd be in a world of hurt because uh, they basically have their lives ruined and they'd have to rely on charity for the rest of their lives. Now, nowadays... They don't have to be as careful. Hang on. More on the way. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up whatever you want toll-free at 800-259-9231, the pack at 8.net toll-free line. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us online, freetalklive.com, the place to go. All the features there are completely free, so enjoy those. They're on us, including live streams. There's a broadband version of the show there, as well as a dial-up version, totally free at freetalklive.com. And Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project. It's your only choice for more personal freedom and smaller, less intrusive government. To learn more about joining the Second American Revolution, go to freestateproject.org. That is freestateproject.org. Now, let's go back to Daniel in Ontario. He had just begun to make his point. Uh, we had to break away for a moment. Daniel, you're back on Free Talk Live. Hi. Now, uh, well, talk- go ahead. I was going to say, you're just talking about, just to recap, you're talking about hooking up and why you think it's, it may be more of a problem today than it uh, would have been several decades ago. Yeah, well, I'm a believer in supply and demand. If you subsidize any behavior, it's going to increase. And there, uh, as you may know, there's a lot of tax credits out there for single parents. Mm -hmm. And the risky behavior that may result in pregnancy, which used to be something dreaded and um, instilled from the parent that you should avoid those situations in all all, uh, circumstances, Mm -hmm. uh, that's gone now because uh, nowadays there's a, a safety net that you can fall back in if you manage to get pregnant and out of uh, a committed relationship. So you're saying that sort of that people aren't necessarily thinking of that explicitly when they're going about this hooking up, but it's somewhere in the back of their minds that hey, yeah, if a mistake sort of, happens. it changes the culture. Uh, if if back in the day it used to be something that the parents and all the loved ones of the young woman had a very strong vested interest in teaching them that you avoid 
getting pregnant out of wedlock or a committed relationship or whatever. Mm-hmm. But now, now that that disincentive is gone, it, it's just not that big of a thing anymore. So it makes perfect sense that right. back it, in the day people would be very prudish and now not so much anymore. It's, it's the difference of uh, trying uh, to walk a tightrope. Um, if it's a couple of feet off the ground or a foot off the ground, you're not going to worry about it too much. Oh, well, if I fall off, something will catch me. But if that tightrope's running between two buildings and you fall ten stories, you're not as likely to try that uh, tightrope. Yeah. As much fun as it might be. Yes, that's my uh, point precisely. And, of course, uh, prophylactics probably made a big difference, too, back in the 60s. So uh, you can't blame it entirely on the state. I, I thought prophylactics have been around for quite some time. Sheep, sheep's intestines uh, were, were used. I mean, they, oh they've probably goodness. Gotten, gotten better. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Daniel. We appreciate hearing from you. 800-259-9231. That is the packet. 8.net toll free line for you. 1-800-259-9231. So, Mark, uh, you have your story about the Boston update. As you know, back in it was late January, there were a couple guys who were working for Turner Broadcasting Company. And they or Cartoon Network specifically, and they went around different cities. And actually, it might have been uh, different people in different cities. I don't know if they hired the same two guys to do every city, or these two guys were just the guys that happened to be hired to do Boston. I presume it was the latter. I would would assume that also. Um, so they hired these two guys. They went around Boston um, as well as a bunch of other cities and put up these light bright boards, uh, which essentially what this is the best thing you can describe them as. There were these little little flashing light. Things, 12 by 12, I believe, so the size of an album, essentially. And it was of the characters from, uh, what was the what was the show? Um, I, I don't remember. I don't remember. The, the characters Fry were Guy, Mo- the, there was a... The Moon Knights. The Moon Knights um, from were the names of the character, the and this is uh, Aquatung... Aquatine Hunger Force, yeah. that's what it was. Aqualung something or other. And so they put these up all over the city. It was probably three, two to three weeks that they were up in... Probably people got a kick out of them, the people that had seen the show, the people that knew what those were. And a number of people probably were just confused. They didn't know what it was. And then finally, one person riding a public bus, probably a little cracked out or whatever. You know how people on public buses can be. Uh, <laughs> one person on a public bus got a little tweaked. I'm not sure I do. <laughs> got a little bit tweaked out and uh, called the city and said there's something scary on the underside of the uh, or on the underside of the overpass. The thing under the overpass is scaring me. Right. So the city called out uh, the cops and the cops spent 750,000 taxpayer dollars shutting off an entire portion of Boston, just closing down the streets. Hey, you got business to do. Come back some other time. Uh, Boston is closed for business. We've found a flashing light. Right, and they blew up one of the boards uh, because that's what they tend to do when the police feel threatened. They blow something up because it makes them feel better. And afterwards, they um, were huffing and puffing about how terrible this was, how these people are, are terrorists for putting these up around the city. And it was just the most absurd story of the year. And you've got an update. Yeah, absurd's uh how I see it, too. From, let's see, from Fox 25 in Boston, MBTA, that's the uh, Metro Boston Transit Authority, General Director Dan Grabacus, or something like that, has announced that he has uh, approved a spending plan for the money that the uh, T received in a settlement with Turner Broadcasting for the uh, suspicious device fiasco that led to a false bomb scare on January the 31st. Grabacus said that half of the 630 thousand four hundred dollars would be used and i thought it was a million bucks that they agreed to pay by the way i would i would think somebody that got their cut in that graft no no i'm thinking that probably what happened was uh 
some of the money went to the MTBA, some of the money went to the police department. There probably were different bureaucracies that got um, got some. Gotcha. Um, he said that uh, half would be used to offset expenses incurred during that day. The northern leg of the Orange Line was shut down for two hours during the busy morning commute, and buses had to be taken off their regular routes in order to transport the thousands of customers who ordinarily have traveled on the subway. Now, tell me, um, how did the Transit Authority get $300,000 worth of expenses by having to reroute and stop? I well, mean, it's government. Uh, government spend, costs a lot of money. But I understand it costs a lot of money. But what did what happened different? The employees worked like employees do. Um, they well, there was stress. Uh, we stressed <laughs> out the employees. Burned some gas like they would normally. They probably would yeah. burn more gas otherwise. I just don't understand. But it doesn't really well, matter. Well, in a terrorism situation, we double people's pay in Boston. Yeah. That's I guess that's sort of beside the point. But uh, apparently, in two hours, the transit authority can lose. Three hundred something thousand dollars. Yeah, uh, you know, just uh, because of a light bright board. Mm-hmm. Money from the settlement will be used to promote. Um, by the way, this this story sort of outlines how they're going to use the other half. That's okay. the exciting part. Money from the settlement will be used to promote MB, MBTA's see something, say something program. Oh gosh, which urges so that's them, what we need more of this. Right. So th- they're using the three the the remaining three hundred thousand oh, dollars to guarantee that it happens again. Now, take into consideration this is the same city that's already blown up one light bright board and its own traffic counting box. Mm. Its own box. They didn't. They couldn't charge Turner or any other company for that. They blew up their own traffic counter. So, um, <laughs> which this program uh, it urges employees and customers to report suspicious people or activities. It's a snitch program. The remaining funds will be spent on equipment for the MBTA Transit Police Department. Uh, you would think that this program of theirs, if they can spend three hundred thousand dollars off routing some buses over two hours, that uh, three hundred thousand dollars in advertising would uh, be sucked up. But apparently, there's still going to be some remaining funds. The remaining funds will be spent on uh, equipment for the MBTA Transit Police Department, including vehicles, purchasing a van to transport security inspection equipment um, to inspection sites, as well as provide remote power source for the equipment. Other purchases will include high-speed computers and digital video enhancement equipment and a GPS crime scene mapping system. Oh, my gosh. All to track down light-bright boards. Using the funds in this manner is consistent with our ongoing efforts to enhance the safety and security of the transit system and those who use it. This is a sensible and prudent way to invest the money from this settlement, because I said so. Remind me to never set foot in Boston. 800-259-9231. They might think I'm a terrorist and blow me up. 800-259-9231. You can take control of the airwaves. Bring up whatever you want. This is Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up what you want, toll free. 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8.net toll free line for you, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features there are completely free, including archives. An entire year's worth of the show is right there on the front page of the website for your downloading convenience. You just go and click and get them. There's no jumping through hoops. There's no membership fee. None of that stuff. You just go for free to freetalklive.com. And do you enjoy building things? Woodcraftplans.com has hundreds of blueprints for things like lawn chairs, rocking horses, yard shadows, fine furniture, and more. Step-by-step instructions and full-size patterns guide all skill levels. 
WoodcraftPlans.com supports FTL, so please support WoodcraftPlans.com. That's WoodcraftPlans.com. As we go to the phones to the fun, it's Josh in Kentucky. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, Josh. Hey, guys. What's on your mind? I want to talk about um, the private sector of uh, space exploration. They're, um, SpaceX is a company, and right now, uh, in about 11 and a half minutes, they're going to launch their first uh, – it's a, it's a satellite launcher – and, uh, yeah, it's about the launch. And uh, I think it's going to prove that, you know, the private sector can, uh, you know, it's always better than what the government can do and, well, and things like this. to be fair, um, this has been proven for a long time. Private companies have been launching satellites for at, at least a couple of decades, if not longer. Um, so that's been that one. That part has been proven. What the other private companies are doing that is really um, unusual now is they're launching human manned um, ships out into uh, to outer space. That's what's coming next. And and of course we're going to prove very easily. They're going to prove very simply that uh, the government is inefficient and virtually useless at launching people into space in comparison to private industry satellites. That's been done. But F- Falcon One is timely, if nothing else. I mean, it's happening right now. You can go on the, the, the Internet yeah, and you can the, take a look. That's the thing is that it's happening right now, and you can watch it if you go to SpaceX.com. SpaceX.com. Uh, is that Space EX or Space X? Uh, just X. Okay. And uh, the thing that surprises me is that this is only about $6.7 million. That's what it says on the site. Right. They, and, s- they spend that on Tang um, yeah. at NASA. <laughs> you know? That's yeah. really affordable. And thanks for bringing that to our attention, Josh. Any other thoughts? Uh, no, that's it. Thanks, dude. 800-259-9231. The you know, pack at 8.net toll free line. It's heartening because um, now satellites are going to be put into space a heck of a lot cheaper because governments won't be involved. And they waste money every time they do something. Well, as I pointed out, governments haven't been involved for a while in satellite launching. Entirely? As I understand it, um, what what from reading Harry Brown's book, The Great Libertarian Offer, I believe this is where I got this from, The NASA had offered its services... To private industry back in the day, and I don't know when this was. It might have been the early 70s, the late 70s, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, NASA offered its services to launch private satellites, and of course, NASA took forever to get anything done. And naturally, it was really expensive. So the private services uh, decided to create their own satellite launching pads and that sort of thing, and and uh, they did that. And now NASA uses private services to launch its own satellites. Hmm. Well, there you go. So I believe that's how it's working. If you know more than I, and you very well may, 800-259-9231. Let's go to Sam in Texas. You're on the phones. Bring up whatever's on your mind, Sam. Hey. Hey, guys. I want to talk to you about the guest worker program and a couple of interviews that I uh, heard on another show. Okay. And in both cases, there were two groups. One guy who went to work for the government forestry service and the other guy who was brought in to work in the private sector. Now, both of these guys are, are um, immigrants. Is that what you're saying? Immigrants from Mexico that were that participated in the program. Correct. Gotcha. So, in both cases, uh, what they do is hire people in Mexico to go around and preach how great this program is, and oh, come, we'll set you up in nice housing. You'll make at least ten bucks an hour. On and on. You know, it's this wonderful thing. You'll be able to send money back to your families. Come do it. So then. In the uh, forestry worker guy's case, they brought them out, and, of course, it costs the forestry service nothing to bring these guys out. The government pays for that. So if they need eight, they get 12, 
And then these guys ended up working two days a week most of the time. And, of course, they're paying for their own motel room, and they, they, did, they weren't even making enough to pay the rent on the motel, much less for food and everything else. So they were having to dodge the landlord. There were restrictions because of the program that didn't allow them to go work elsewhere. Okay. That's despicable. Now, yeah. And it, wait till you hear the private sector one. These guys were brought out. They were loaded onto a truck. Their passports were seized before they even got to the border, and they knew something was up there. They were given back to them to be inspected by the immigration officials and then seized again. Okay, so these are immigrants, and you know what happens if they try to leave without their passport. They get a you know, taxpayer-funded two- to six-month stay in jail uh, before they get shipped back, back home. For just trying so, to leave without your passport? Yeah, if you, if you get picked up without documentation and you, you know, are of Hispanic descent, what's the word I'm looking for? Descent? Uh, yeah, then they're going to uh, pick you up and put you in through the Yeah, I guess you better have your papers on you. So they were, this guy was promised $10 an hour. When they got out there, the, uh, they were told, you know, you're going to do construction work, and it's booming and this and that. What do you know? They come to find out when they get there, no construction work. Instead, mm-hmm. they're hired as dishwashers, all these medial, you know, cleanup jobs that nobody wants, and they were paid six fifty an hour. Now, the program put them in housing, and they charged them $1,200 a month for the housing. They went ahead and took that right out of their check. So of their $300 check, 200 was taken out for all of these housing and other expenses. Now, wait a second. They're, they're charging each person $1,200 a month for housing? It wasn't clear on that, but what the guy said is of his $300 a month check, almost 200 was coming out. Of housing, I don't know if they're putting wow. four guys into one house or what, but of all the expenses that they charged back to the workers, it was $200 of their $300 paycheck. Gotcha. And again, they can't go anywhere else because they've seized their passports, and wow. this is the program that Bush wants to expand. This is just outright slavery. Oh, my goodness. I had no idea this was going on. Yeah, I didn't either. I mean, I, I'd never imagined it would be this bad, but apparently this was... You know, two guys in the program, again, from your favorite socialist tripe show, The Democracy Now!, but... Wow, where... Uh, oh, my eye-opening. goodness. Thank you for that. Um, I'm I'm a little bit stunned. I don't know where to go. You know, uh, th- this is the sort of slavery that's uh, that, that's propagated by the system that we currently have, because people are being brought... Of, um, coming across the border illegally, and this in this case, it's legal, and they just take their papers and sort of make them quasi-illegal. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, so they're stuck. These people are indentured servants, and it's it, it's not the American dream. It's not what our ancestors came across the water and immigrated to this country for, and I, I don't understand why we're doing it to these people. Now, wait, how long are they stuck into this in this situation for? I missed that if you mentioned it. I, I didn't mention it. I imagine it's some kind of a fixed term. I don't know what it is. I don't think it was mentioned in the interview. So the idea is you come here, you sign up for this government program, we're going to place you in some sort of job, and you can't choose not to work. You, you don't actually get to choose which job you work in? Right, and the people who are recruiting them are, people, are local people in Mexico, hired, and they're told to say, you know, tell them it's great housing, tell them it's you know, plenty of work, that it's $10 an hour, on and on and on. And then when they get into it, it's, it's nothing of the, of the likes. It's just you know, these medial jobs that were not what they were promised. And they can't leave. pay that's lower. And they've seized their passports. They can leave, but 
without papers, these guys are undocumented illegal immigrants. Right, they're waiting to go to jail. And they're going to go to jail for six months or two weeks or whatever. And we've heard... Is there no way for the, uh, for the Mexican government to send them new passports? I mean, that's... I... Well, they, they have their passports when they leave and they go. But it's the program officials that, have, that seized them in this guy's case. So they load them up on the truck or on the bus or whatever, and they say, all right, everybody, give us your passports. They handed them back out when they went across the border, and then they uh, seized them back again and held on to them. And they held that over their head as almost a threat, where if you leave, wow. they, they told them, you know, you can leave, and, and we'll give you your passport back, but you really want, want to do that. And your, tax dollars, and your tax dollars are paying for all this. Wow, yep. Sam, thank you for the call. Appreciate it. More on the way. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live, 800-259-9231. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up what you want, toll free, 800-259-9231. That's the packet8.net toll free line, 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us online, freetalklive.com, the place to go. All the features there are completely free, so do enjoy those. They're on us, though we do ask you voluntarily support the show by buying some stuff at Amazon.freetalklive.com. You know Amazon, they're the world's largest internet retailer with 40 categories of products, everything from their brand new grocery store to also their brand new Amazon Unbox, where you can rent videos online. Uh, They're downloaded directly to your computer. And then, then of course, the classic Amazon categories like books and DVDs. They've also got office products, furniture, uh, accessories, clothing, sporting goods, and more. It's all there. If you order through Amazon.freetalklive.com, then Free Talk Live gets a percentage of your purchase. So get the stuff you need delivered to your door and help Free Talk Live out all at the same time. That's Amazon.freetalklive.com. Let's go to the phones to Charles in Wisconsin. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian Mark. Hey, Charles. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, what's I just wanted to... I just wanted to call in and let you guys know uh, some good news I heard coming out of state capitol today. Hmm. Apparently, well, I went downtown because uh, there were some activists protesting for uh, to get weed decriminalized in, uh, in the city of Stevens Point. And I was just talking to these guys. They're looking to put together a local chapter of Normal. And Great. Apparently, the state capitol of Madison has decriminalized possession of under 25 grams of marijuana. They refused. The prosecutors will not prosecute you. Really? Wow. So now when you say they've decriminalized it, does that mean that they're now going to charge you a fine or it's just completely ignored? Uh, I think it. De- I think from what I was hearing, it depends on the cop you get. Mm-hmm. Uh, most Some cops will just let it go and not even write anything up. Just give you, leave your pot and the um, paraphernalia with you and just say, don't get caught again. Otherwise, like, right. if you want to take it to court, uh, I heard a fines as little as $60. Wow, that's, uh, I mean, hey, on the scale of things, it sure as heck is better than going to jail. Oh, for sure, yeah. I so agree. what do you think your chances are? And a criminal are, record. What do you think your chances are of uh, making something happen at, at, what is it, Stevens Point? Stevens Point, yeah, it's right in central Wisconsin. Um, I don't know, but uh, this, these people have been protesting downtown. Uh, this is the third time this week they're meeting there every Monday. And I'm going to start joining them and, you know, trying to do what we can. Just, it's great just getting ideas together and. That's fantastic, and it's, it's also unusual for the marijuana crowd. Usually it's very difficult to get pot smokers out to do anything. I know I'm being very uh, – yeah. ge- it's, it's, ge- it's an unfair generalization, but uh, from my experience in activism, it seems to be true. So the, the, the fact that you've even found a handful of uh, pot smokers, and how many people were there out there? Um, the Stevens Point Journal, the local newspaper, actually did a, made a, had a front-page article 
covering the protesters when they were there last week, and there were four there last week, and this week there are about eight. So it seems to be growing. Not too shabby. And, and uh, this, is only, this is spring break, too, so everyone's gone from college. Hmm. Yeah, we'll definitely get some, get some friends involved and get out there and oh, do it yeah. and, and let us know what happens, Charles. Thank you for the call. Sure. Appreciate it. 800-259-9231. Activism. Good thing. Yeah, that's exciting. I wish we had that going on here in New Hampshire. I'm jealous. Well, you know, we've got lots of good things going on in New Hampshire. I know. There are a lot of good things here. And, in fact, the New Hampshire Coalition for Common Sense has recently been formed, and I'm sure they're going to be involved in things like that here in the near future, which is uh, it's good news. 1-800-259-9231. So we were talking about uh, the Boston government earlier in this hour and how uh, early this year they got really freaked out and spent over $700,000 of taxpayer money on what was essentially amounted to a few light bright boards uh, placed around town. And I'd used that as an example in the past of why it is that you shouldn't expect government to keep you safe. Because a lot of people do. A lot of people believe that governments, even small government people, believe that the government's role is to protect life, liberty, and the pursuit of property. And it just seems to me that every chance government gets to prove whether or not it's any good at protecting those three, it proves otherwise. It proves that they're a dangerous, violent gang of criminals that you should um, protect your own property from. Um, They're not doing anything to protect you. In fact, our friend Mark Stevens has an example of exactly how they aren't. It's an article on his website, adventuresinlegalland.com. Still love governments? It's truly amazing, despite all the crimes committed by governments, people still religiously cling to the idea that governments are necessary to protect life, liberty, and property. You can even point out governments not only have no duty to protect anyone, but also do a disastrous job at whatever they bother doing. Despite overwhelming evidence, government is not only unnecessary, corrupt, and a cancer on the world, its victims continue to revere them. Maybe this will help convince them that governments are nothing more than gangs of killers, thieves, and liars. Show a friend who believes governments are necessary this copy of Title 50 of the United States Code, Section 1520. This law authorizes the Department of Defense to conduct chemical and biological warfare experiments on, quote, civilian populations. Dear God. You'll note that there's nothing in there about informing the civilian population and getting their consent. While the only ones notified are local civilian officials, there's nothing about getting consent from anyone first. I seem to remember hearing something about a dictator in the Middle East being accused of doing something just like this. It'll warm your heart to know that chemical and biological agents are weapons of mass destruction. This means that the Department of Defense conducts experiments on civilian populations with weapons of mass destruction. Maybe I'm just being cynical. I just don't think you protect people by attacking them with weapons of mass destruction. Maybe the anthrax attacks after 9-11 was just another authorized experiment. If you think I'm paranoid, consider all the programs conducted by governments that are classified where governments deny their existence for decades. MKUltra and Operation Northwoods are a couple of good examples. If attacking civilian populations with weapons of mass destruction is admitted and shamelessly advertised in the United States Code, then what's being hidden or classified? Don't worry, you only need to wait 50 years or so to find out. Have any of the local civilian officials where you live ever notified you of a chemical and biological warfare experiment being conducted? I don't think I've ever. No, no. Of course, these experiments are harmless and for our benefit. That's why you and I are not being informed. Once again, with government, our consent is not necessary. Do you like the idea of being experimented on without your consent? It's so crazy that it's hard to take serious. You know, um, that that this this law that they've 
they, they, that he's quoting here. I don't know its veracity, but I would imagine Title it's true. Title 50 of the United States Code. He links to it. Section 12, uh, 15. Yeah, I can't imagine he would. Uh, it would be untrue. Um, it's just so bizarre that they can do chemical experiments on the, uh, the citizens, uh, you know, mass population anytime they want without notifying anybody but a, but a few civilian authorities. It, it, it's, it's hard to believe. Well, uh, so, of course, these experiments are harmless. Uh, yes, governments are wonderful. After all, without governments who would conduct those lovely chemical and biological warfare experiments on entire populations, who will steal trillions of dollars worth of our energy every year? And when he says steal trillions of dollars worth of your energy, he means your work. Um, when you go out and you do things and you create income for yourselves, in most cases, the government steps in and takes a significant percentage of that. Mm, for not doing anything, really. Exactly. They're stealing it. Who will conduct horrific mind control experiments and domestic terrorist acts? Just how do you wage wars without governments? In fact, you can't wage wars without governments. It's fiscally irresponsible uh, to get into a war without uh, being a government, because all you'll do is lose money, whereas governments can turn on the printing press and print out as much money as they want to fund their war efforts. Or forcibly tax their citizens. It's both, usually. Because they typically can't get enough from taxing their citizens, especially if the citizens start withholding their taxes. If the citizens get upset and say, we've had enough of this war and just stop paying the taxes, then they really have to crank the printing machine into overdrive. Well, I was uh, trying to look at it from a historical standpoint, uh, you know, back in the day when they Back before they could print They had uh, gold coins. You would have to just forcibly extract your uh, uh, taxes rather than uh, to just print some more. Look at the hypocrisy, says Mark Stevens. There are over 40,000 paramilitary raids conducted in the United States every year because drugs are bad, while there are whole populations being attacked with weapons of mass destruction. Which group is doing the drugs here anyway? The government's solution to every problem is simple. Launch another attack on the people. When you think about it, that's about the only thing governments are good at. So, if you're still a skeptic or no one, remember Section 50, USC, Section 1520, where the Department of Defense is authorized to conduct chemical and biological warfare experiments on populations. 1-800-259-9231. I don't even know where to go with that. How can you defend government you after, the, after a law like that? You, you really can't. Uh, I mean, the, 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 what's the excuse here? The excuse is there's... Uh, wh- really? What's the excuse for a, for a section in law like that? Oh, we're going to can't we're, imagine we're what, going to destroy the population of Elko, Nevada, so we can protect the rest of America. We're going to test some new agents, some new chemical uh, warfare techniques on the people in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, so the rest of you in America can stay healthy. It doesn't seem likely that they'd be uh, actually kill everybody. They'd probably just hmm, I wonder what happens. No, they don't just know. drop things. Why would they? Why would they even have a law like this if they didn't intend to use it? I mean, this That's would a seem, good question. This would seem like a, the sort of law that you would, oh, let's, I, we want to do some experiments, and we, we don't think people should know about it. We better get a law run through on and this. And just think about the total lack of accountability. I mean, we've talked about this before. If they actually do run these experiments, and who knows if they are or not, but if they do run these experiments, somebody finds out about it. Let's say the news breaks wide open, an ABC News special report. Then they just point some fingers and say, well, it's a law. I mean, we, it's in the law. We're allowed to do this. When, when was the law written? 1960s. Those guys are dead now. You certainly can't bring them to court. Nobody can be punished for it. Hour number two is on the way. This is Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free. But if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. 
Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up what you want toll-free. 800-259-9231 is the packet 8.net toll-free line for you, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. Join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features completely free. Uh, it's it. I mean, they're free. You just go there and enjoy them. Those other radio talk show hosts, they charge you for access to their websites. Ours is free, freetalklive.com. So, apparently, there were some protests today in San Francisco and New York, anti-Iraq war protests. Now, you'd think San Francisco, New York, big cities, top ten markets, I believe. I think San Francisco's in the top ten. I'm sure it is. I know it is. Big cities. Got to be some people turning out for an anti-war protest. Well, I don't know who the hell was organizing these things, because I'm pretty sure that there have been bigger uh, anti-Iraq war protests um, in the past, like in the past four, uh, four years or so. But in this case, uniformed police outnumbered the fewer than 100 protesters outside the New York Stock Exchange building at the corner of Broad and Wall Streets in New York's historic financial district. In fact, uh, police arrested more than 100 protesters in both San Francisco and New York City as the nation marked the fourth anniversary of the U.S. invasion of Iraq. So it was a pretty significant day to be protesting the Iraq war. It's hard to imagine. Um, I, I don't know exactly how long the World War II lasted, but uh, it seems to me that it lasted about four years. And it's hard to imagine this thing has gone on that long. Uh, Civil War, same thing. These are the big ones that we fought and uh, couldn't wrap up this Stinking little country in four years? Stop the money, stop the war, demonstrators chanted as police hauled away limp-bodied protesters. A police spokesman said 44 were arrested. Demonstrators, I presume that's in New York, demonstrators said they were directing their protest at major defense contractors like Lockheed Martin and uh, General Electric and others. The protest had no impact on the stock exchange's trading. Quote, U.S. service members and Iraqi civilians are dying so that the elite few can profit, said one of the protesters, a high school teacher who served for two years in the U.S. Navy. In San Francisco, dozens of demonstrators, many of them old enough to have, been, uh, to have once protested in the Vietnam War in the 1960s and early 70s, conducted a die-in by lying on the sidewalk <laughs> and pretending to be dead. Some oh wore fake blood to recall the more than 3,200 U.S. military personnel killed in the Iraq War. And that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of people. 3,200 people. Many uh, later moved to obstruct Market Street, running through, and I don't even know what the count is on the people that have been injured. I'm not even sure what that count is. I know the last 20, time I looked, it was over 15,000. Yeah, it's 20-something thousand. Low 20. Wow. Uh, they moved out into Market Street, running through the city's central business district. Police spokes bureaucrat warned, quote, as soon as they went out there, we started making arrests. They were warned. I don't know what they were arresting them for. Maybe they didn't I don't know what they permit. were warned about. Uh, another spokesperson said police arrested 57 people in two San Francisco locations. Polls show most Americans do now oppose the war in Iraq, yet without a military draft like that which helped focus public opposition to the Vietnam War, public protests have been far smaller than they were in that era. Thousands have, however, rallied against the war in recent days nationwide, including Washington, D.C., San Francisco, and Los Angeles. But it doesn't sound like there's that many. I mean, the fourth anniversary of the war... And you only got 100 people to show up in New York City? I'm surprised they weren't able to just pick up some people off the street to uh, uh, yeah. rally with them. 
Now, I understand that things are different now than they were back in the 1970s. I understand there's no draft this time out, but it's still the government using your money to go and kill people around the world. You'd think that would outrage enough people to to get out there and do something. Or maybe another thing that's changed between now and then is that, well, the government's taking ever more of incomes... They're taking a, a larger and larger cut of people's income, so maybe it's just possible that people feel like they're just too busy. They have to, uh, they you know, they have to go to work uh, to put food on the table. If they miss a day of work, and today was a Monday, you can't. Everybody's at work that's supposed to be working um, during the week. So maybe they, maybe there's just a number of people that would have liked to have gone, but just decided I, I can't afford this. I can't afford to go out and protest, and that's sort of a position that uh, we've been put into recently, of recent times, in the last couple decades, by this government. I've felt that way on uh, certain things that we've uh, protest that I've been invited to protest at. I've just been like, oh man, I've I've got to work. Yeah, I got to make calls, got to do things, got to put food on the table. Yeah, that way we can I can afford to do this show that's uh, promoting the Free State Project. Exactly. I mean, we all do things in in certain ways uh, that that work for us as far as uh, getting active. It's just, I guess, I'm a little bit disappointed that in New York City, they couldn't turn out more than 100 people. 1-800-259-9231. What's it going to take to get the real anti-war protests back into the streets? Are they going to have to reinstitute the draft? No, I certainly don't want that. All right, so since we're talking Iraq, you've got some Iraqi statistics for us, Mark. Right, from AFP, the Iraqis are increasingly pessimistic about the future. Four years after the ouster of Saddam Hussein and fewer than one in five have faith in the U.S.-led coalition, a poll showed Monday. The survey, contrasting with a survey two years ago, indicating that barely a quarter feel safe in their own neighborhoods as the Mm. anniversary of the U.S.-led invasion is marked this week. Only 18% of those polled have confidence in the United States and the U.S.-led coalition troops, while 78% opposed the presence of coalition forces and 69% said it worsened the security situation. So almost 80%, just like we've been saying, 80% oppose the presence of coalition forces. And a percentage of those um, people support violence to get them out. They sure do. Not only are they... Uh, them being us, but they, them being uh, our neighbors. Not me, I'm not neighbors. there. Right. Uh, is that it? Uh, faith in the new Iraqi government was a little better, although hardly overwhelming. 53% were dissatisfied with the performance of the Iraqi government. Some 63% said foreign troops should only leave after security improved and the capacity of Iraqi institutions was strengthened. So that 63 said that the foreign troops shouldn't shouldn't be leaving. Does this make what? any sense? 78 opposed the presence of coalition forces, but 63% said foreign troops should only leave after security improved and the capability of Iraq's Man. institutions had strengthened. They're just as confused as Americans are. <laughs> According to the poll commissioned by BBS, ABC News, ARD, German TV, and USA Today, a survey conducted by the BBC in November 2005 painted a much brighter picture with 71% saying things were good in their lives and 64% saying their lives would be better in 12 months. 69% saying the situation in the country would be improved in a year. I'm not saying that, uh, I don't see how any of those numbers would necessarily uh, counter any of the numbers that we've read already. Britain's ambassador to Baghdad, uh, whatever, told BBC Radio that different polls were prone to show different views of experiences of life in Iraq. These are snapshots, and snapshots can always give a rather different view of the picture, he said. You know, I don't care if the poll shows that 90% of Iraqis are happy that uh, that there are military troops in their streets. I don't care. Right. Um, the fact is, it's not supposed to be something that America does. America's supposed to, at least constitutionally and all that, you know, those old documents, uh, according to all that, we were supposed to be a defensive 
country. We were supposed to keep to our own business, and we were supposed to trade with the rest of the world, but not send troops all around the rest of the world. So, I mean, just on a constitutional basis, we don't belong there, beyond the fact that it's just wrong to uh, to take people uh, from their homes and uh, and blow up their, their friends and family members in, uh, all over a war of aggression. I mean, beyond the, beyond the fact that it's wrong, it's also unconstitutional. So I don't care what the public opinion sh- uh, polls show. I'm not sure that makes it unconstitutional, but I would say that the way the uh, legislature passed uh, sort of a sweeping um, use of force for the president. There was certainly no declaration of war. There was no declaration of war, and that makes it unconstitutional in my mind. Here's another interesting statistic for you from uh, Joe. He emails in, regardless of where you stand on the issue of U.S. involvement in Iraq, here's a sobering statistic. There has been a monthly average of 160,000 troops in the Iraqi theater of operations during the last 22 months, and a total of 2,112 deaths. Obviously, um, I I guess that's over that 22 months. That gives a firearm death rate of 60 per 100,000 soldiers. The firearm death rate in Washington, D.C., however, is 80.6 per 100,000 persons for the same period. Now, hold on. This is an email or this is a... It's an email. Okay, because I I, I don't know that that uh, number is necessarily true or anything. Okay. Well, I don't know either, but it's an email. Right. And he says that means that you're about 25% more likely to be shot and killed in the U.S. Capitol than you are in Iraq. No, it doesn't mean that at all. There's only 160,000 troops in Iraq. Um, there's not. There's a heck of a lot more U- U.S. citizens in um, the than Washington, D.C. than there are in Iraq, the entire country. So if we put the same amount of uh, U.S. people in Iraq and you... No, no, saw he's the comparing numbers... per, per 100,000 persons. Oh, is he? So it's 60 per 100,000 in Iraq, as far as Americans are concerned. Okay. And it's 80.6 per 100,000 in Washington, D.C. Assuming these numbers are correct. Presuming they are, and I have no reason to, uh, to disbelieve Joseph. He's emailed before. Well, at least the uh, soldiers can carry weapons in uh, Iraq, and that's probably the reason. Well, yeah, good point. They can shoot back, whereas it's in D.C., they can't. 1-800-259-9231. Of course, government people have weapons, so we're talking about regular American people in D.C. Go- them, government will never take government's weapons away. More on Dude. the way. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231, the pack at 8.net, toll-free line for you, 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features there are completely free, including the Shrine of Female listeners. Dozens and dozens of ladies have taken the time to send us their validated photo to prove they listen to the show. And you can see what I mean by going over to shrine.freetalklive.com to get access at shrine.freetalklive.com. And how close were the philosophies of Nietzsche and the Nazis? Check out the fascinating new DVD by Dr. Stephen Hicks, available at Laissez-Faire Books. How did the Nazis come to power in one of the most educated and civilized countries in the world? And was Nietzsche's philosophy the inspiration? Check out this and many other books and videos on liberty at LFB.com. That's Laissez-Faire Books. LFB.com as we go to the phones to the fun. It is to the amplifier line and Dennis in New Hampshire. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, Dennis. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, sir. What's on your mind? Well, I wanted to give you guys an update on the little action that took place up in Concord, New Hampshire, last Thursday. Okay. This is where uh, a whole large group, a large group, actually, many dozens of uh, people, mostly, well, including a lot of free staters, kind of descended on the Capitol. I thought uh, it was nearly 100. Yeah, it's something in the 100 range, yeah. Um, So one one of the issues 
just got resolved today, um, and it was not a main issue. This was like a little side issue that a couple of people and some people from the uh, New Hampshire Liberty Alliance decided to try and help some folks on, out on. It, it turns out that they were trying, or some people were trying to regulate, believe it or not, trying to regulate interior designers. They wanted... What kind of regulation would they? What, what's an inter, how? Why? How are they? Um, we need licensing. They could put the furniture in the wrong place. I mean, Mark. interior designers don't kill anybody. <laughs> the feng shui will be thrown all off. That's right. They they wanted a licensure and certification board and the whole nine yards. And there was a small group of interior designers who were saying, you know, no way. This is stupid. And not to mention, you guys obviously want to license a small fry out of the equation, as always happens with licensing. Sure. So we, we, we took some of these uh, small-time interior designers, I guess the, the alternative interior designers, and gave them a quick um, rundown on, okay, you guys are gonna, you guys are gonna fight the big boys of the money. Here's, here's how you do it. You know, let's, let's get in there and go. And it was, I'd say a dozen free staters also that were just showing up to lend their support, which nobody was expecting. Like they thought they were gonna walk all over this thing. And, um, the, the relevant committee had their, vote today, and it looks like we did succeed in getting them to, uh, it was a split decision, but they did decide that, no, interior design, maybe they don't want to go ahead and license that. Wow, so fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. You know, it, and it just goes to, to prove what I've been saying is the FSP is doing a pretty good job of holding off growth from the government here in uh, New Hampshire. And all we had, you know, by the end of uh, 2009, is it? Ed, by the ten, end well, of 2008. it's not the FSP. It's the members of the Free State Project right. NHLA, um, doing really. various different things in the state. And in this case, the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance. Exactly. And, of course, there are some, there are some data involved in this effort, too. I mean, it's certainly not anyone doing anything alone. It's certainly only possible with groups of people, um, you know, willing to take the time to get involved and get active. And there's, there's those folks here... Native and often, you know, it just takes someone who had the, the gumption, the fire in their belly to stand up and say, you know what, I know it doesn't matter in, a, in the big sense, but it's just stupid, and so I'm saying no. And then other people stand up and go, yeah, this is stupid. I don't want that. It really, we're seeing more and more evidence that all it really takes is one dissenter, somebody with the courage to stand up and say, hey, this is wrong. Uh, let's not do this, and then other people will will jump in and and also uh, and help carry the torch at that point. Dennis, you got it. That's any all, other th- any other thoughts? Thanks, dude. Appreciate Talk the call. All right, eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. Back at eight dot net toll free line. You know, I I think that that's true. I think uh, some people just need an excuse to speak up and say what's on their mind too. And if somebody says, you know, this is wrong. Then they can go, yeah, yeah, and suddenly the you know the the, the tidal wave will begin. It, it certainly doesn't work every time, but sometimes it does. Absolutely. In fact, I know that you're going to be telling us, I think, tomorrow night about your experience uh, g- going out and protesting some uh, g- growth of government right here in Keene. We're going to wait on that for tomorrow night. Can you imagine me protesting? Because our very own Toby will be joining us uh, to talk about that as well. Um, yeah, I can't imagine that. In fact, I don't think you've ever done that before, have you? Well, Have you ever protested something? I've yeah, I've protested a few things, mainly with you, but oh, okay. uh, you know, no, uh, and I do it a little different. You did it on your own? I I wore a suit. Yes, and, and as uh, a result, had your picture taken. I suspect I will be on the uh, uh, in the newspaper tomorrow. Well, speaking of the uh, you know the concept of having people stand up and just saying no to tyranny, 
Here's an example uh, that sort of rings similar to a call we got, I think it was Saturday night or last week, where a gentleman called in to say that he was at Disney World recently, going through the line at Disney World, where he noticed up ahead in line that people were being fingerprinted before they were allowed into Disney World. And he said to himself, whoa, I don't think I want to be part of this. And so he just told the, the Disney World people, no, I, I'm not going to be fingerprinted. And he was still allowed in. They did take a they did take his driver's license information as like I guess an alternative identifying option. But the point was that he said no, and then other people in the line noticed that hey, you can say no to this. You know they weren't told that this is an option. Of course they weren't told that. But once they saw somebody else having the courage to stand up and and refuse, they also uh elected to to stand up and refuse. And it also sends the message to uh the big mouse that uh hey, we don't want you taking a bunch of our information and if you expect to continue to get uh entrance money from us, you know, ticket fares and all that good yeah. stuff, you'll stop asking us this kind of information. Well, in uh, in a different sort of uh, private arena, we go to the movie theater. From Polytechbot.com, I wonder what kind of dystopian cyberpunk future we live in when you're uh, physically searched before entering a movie theater. Last night, my girlfriend brought me along to see a screening, and this is a a few months old, of Derailed at the Paramount Theater in Toronto, which she had to review for a magazine that she works for. The lineup for the screening was unusually long, as I think they also fill seats at press screenings with radio call-in winners who, in hindsight, might have accepted such poor treatment in exchange for the ostensible privilege of paying for $30 worth of parking and fast food for a free $13 movie. Anyway, the line was moving slowly because they were asking customers to raise their arms so they could be electronically frisked with a metal detector. And women's purses were being searched by uniformed security guards. Now, Now, I have actually seen this going on. Uh, this happened at one time when I was at the uh, the Hollywood 20 down in Sarasota. They were doing this to people. Huh. Try to remember this is Toronto. I've gone to a lot of movie theaters, and that's never happened to me. Yep. You can believe that I'd raise a stink. Try to remember that this is Toronto, Canada we're talking about here, not New York, Tel Aviv, or London. People who submitted to their search, everyone from what I could tell, had their cell phones taken from them and checked at a table set up in front of the theater, and they were given a ticket to reclaim it when they left. I was having none of this and checked to the, uh, the back of my ticket stub to ensure that there was no mention of being required to submit to a search listed as a condition of sale. That was a fair thing for him to do. Yeah. Uh, because, again, it not is that, private property. Not that, uh, I mean, you, it may be a condition of, uh, of sale, but he didn't sign anything. True. As my girlfriend and I made it to the front of the line, the guard looked at me and asked me to raise my arms for the search. We'll find out what he did. Here in a moment, 800-259-9231. Have you encountered a situation like this at a movie theater? And if so, how did it make you feel? Did it make you feel like never going to the theater again? Because that's this uh, this author's suggestion, is that if theaters continue treating people like this, then they're going to ensure their own destruction. More's on the way. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. You take control. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring it what you want, toll free, 800-259-9231. That's the packet, 8.net, toll free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. Join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features there completely free, and that includes the bulletin board system. Over 200,000 posts await you 
Over 1,500 people interacting. It's all for free. bbs.freetalklive.com gets you to it. That's bbs.freetalklive.com. Now you can save time and money on common legal matters created by top attorneys. LegalZoom.com helps you create reliable legal documents like your will or living trust in minutes. LegalZoom.com. Use code FTL to save 10%. That's LegalZoom.com. And Ian, I'd like to say... I've got the uh, the stuff put to uh, you know I, I I got downloaded and got the stuff to do my will so I intend to redo my will. Fantastic. Just because I think it's uh you know it, it it's the right thing to do for my family. Very good. One eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. You take control. Talking about an unusual experience, or maybe it's becoming a little bit less unusual. Maybe this is getting a little more typical because I can say this has happened to me. We're talking about an experience that somebody had going to a movie screening. And this was actually a couple of months ago. Uh, but nonetheless, I was actually sent to uh, Declan McCullough's website, polytechbot.com. I, I happen to be a fan of uh, Declan McCullough. He does some great work um, covering various different technology-related freedom issues uh, for CNET.com. Anyway, says he's got his own site, and this was posted there. The gentleman uh, in question went to see a movie, uh, like a screening, with his girlfriend, who was writing an article for a magazine. So she had to do a review for the movie. And so that's why he was there. As he noticed the line was a little bit long and figured out the reason why was because everyone, everyone, was being searched. They uh, were essentially submitting to searches, raising their arms so they could be electronically frisked with a metal detector. Women's purses were being searched by uniformed security guards. This was going on at the entrance to a movie theater. And so the the gentleman writing this says, I was having none of this. He checked to make sure that uh, on his ticket stub it didn't require that he submit to a search in order to get in, and it didn't. He says, as my girlfriend and I made it to the front of the line, the guard looked at me and asked me to raise my arms for the search. I politely declined, saying, no thank you, and proceeded to the ticket taker. I could hear him calling, Sir! Sir! Behind me. Dear God, you haven't been frisked! But even though I slowed my pace in case he was really going to do something about it, as I had expected, I wasn't stopped. The ticket taker took my ticket, and I waited for my girlfriend just inside the gate, as her purse was being subjected to a thorough going through by one of the guards. Since she was there for work and her deadline was that night, she wasn't quite ready to risk not seeing the movie. Sure, I, 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 I get why uh, she would want to do that. Her 150 words won't have room for what happened next. Her phone was taken from her and put in a sealed plastic bag with a claim ticket. And she joined me where I was waiting, past the gate, and we walked into the theater together. To add further insult to the debacle at the gate, near the exits at stage right and left were two uniformed security guards at each door. Hmm. All four of them with video cameras scanning the crowd and making themselves very conspicuous. This was not just for a bit of pre-show MPAA theater. They stood there at the entrances to the theater for the entirety of the movie. Red LEDs glowing. Remember, these are at the uh, the exit, so they were at the front of the theater. So everybody could see these guys. It makes you wonder, why are they doing that? Well, you don't. you can't figure it out? The movie th- movie cameras no. Mm-hmm. They're looking for people with cameras. They want to catch somebody. Oh, this see. is a screening. They want to catch somebody who's smuggling in a video camera gotcha. and recording the movie. Sorry, I, I'm not in that that whole world that uh, might be able to download a movie and and watch a what do they call that a screen? Well, if you went to this movie, you would have been in that world. You would have been thrown into that world because you'd have been searched and you'd not have understood why. 
You'd think, what the hell? I've never been patted down for a movie before. And so, yeah, you're in that world even though you aren't someone who's a downloader. You're saying you don't participate. You're saying you're not a, da- you're not a downloader. But now because there are some people who download, you're going to get caught up in this world if you decide to go to the movies now. Gotcha. And so the question for you is, how would this make you feel if you've encountered this? Have you encountered this? 1-800-259-9231. Would it do for you what it did for the guy writing this article, and that is dissuade you from going to any future movies in a, in a theater situation? I mean, if you've got a home theater, you don't have to put up with this crap. Heck, if you just have, I mean, he points out later on that if all you got's a 13-inch, it might just be better to stay home and watch it on your 13-inch than to uh, or wait for the DVD than to go to the theater. And put up with this crap. I haven't had to put up with it yet, um, and I, I can tell you that I wouldn't like it very much. He, so they, he said they stood there for the entirety of the movie, red LEDs glowing, scanning the crowd to remind us we were under close surveillance and our actions were being recorded. If you've ever sat in a chair in a dark room watching disturbing scenes unfold in front of you while four people with video cameras stand in front of, your si- uh, in front of you silently recording your reactions, you might be reminded of scenarios from A Clockwork Orange, Brazil, 1984, Videodrome, and strangely, uh, SFW from the 19th, uh, 1990s. Security guards re- uh, regularly use handheld video cameras to harass and intimidate people, particularly during political rallies and protests, as the guards know the cameras carry with them a clear implication of future retribution against those being recorded. The cameras are quite literally a threat. Upon leaving the theater, my girlfriend and I had to stop at the security desk to claim her phone, which involved them searching through a pile of bagged cell phones for the correct one. Uh, you know, at least with the, uh, the the theater's case, they actually give you a a, a number, a claim, claim number ticket. with your phone. Yeah. When I was at the uh, the courthouse for the feds in Concord, they just took your phone and then they threw out all the phones they had when you came back to get your phone and let you pick which one was yours. Ooh, I like this BlackBerry. Which involved them searching through a pile for the correct one. We took another moment to turn the phone on to validate we had the correct phone. My girlfriend agreed that if she hadn't already made uh, or she hadn't already had that deadline, she would have made a point of walking out of the screening and giving the PR person a talking to. I didn't confront the camera wielding guards in the theater because she was my host and she had a job to do. Right. Only people who think they've done something wrong or deserve to be searched submit to that kind of authority, which is why guards get away with it and the rest of us continue to be subjected to it and it becomes normal. Well, I think a lot of people just uh you know they 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 don't know any better there at this point it's just common to be searched in america right it's that's just the scary part it's just okay it's it's moving out from the airports to the movie theater now and this isn't even the government uh, this is the mpaa uh, not just the airports uh any, any sporting event you can be pretty much guaranteed you're going to get frisked through the sporting event some concerts Concerts, yeah. Apparently, he says this is how the Alliance, uh, this is Alliance Atlantis's idea of how to treat an audience. Then I, for one, can certainly live without seeing any of their films, and will be skipping movies at the Paramount Theater. I also know that at least one reviewer will be seeing her movies elsewhere too. I'd also say that this is further evidence that movie studios are losing revenue because of their increasingly poor movie-going experience and general low quality of the movies they're making. As after this, I can certainly understand why someone would prefer to watch a movie on their 14-inch screen than suffer the indignity of a multiplex. As though it weren't bad enough that you had to pay $5 for a bag of popcorn, you also have to be frisked. And then monitored? I mean, this didn't happen. When I, when I went into the theater, they were just checking people. There were, no one, there were no guards standing up at the front of the theater scanning the crowd with video cameras. It, it That's seems, spooky. It seems like the theaters are far enough uh, removed 
from the movie process that they don't have quite as quite as much to gain. Now, I can see why the movie companies would want thugs with cameras making sure that their movie didn't get uh, seen, but the theaters... I think that's who was doing this. I think the movie company was putting on the screening, mm. and they were there sort of controlling things, gotcha. if you will. So, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think the theater on its own would normally do something like this. And I, I can't recall which movie I was at when this happened to me. I think it might have been another one of those sort of special midnight showings, one of those special cases, not actually during the actual release schedule of the film, because the hackers and the crackers, they try to get in as early as possible to the movies so they can record them and actually release the movie before it comes out in theaters. And that's just they just do that for a hobby? Yeah, it's just for fun. Oh, God. They just do it to see if they can. And many of them work on the inside of the business. Many of them uh, work in the projection room, so they just put their cameras up there, that sort of thing. I see. Yeah. 800-259-9231. If you've ever experienced anything like this and how it affected your movie-going experience, I've got to say that uh, it was a turnoff for me. It definitely was. Now, I like a, a good movie theater, you know, the stadium seating, sure. the surround sound and all that stuff. And some movie that uh, movies, I, I think it's it's definitely worth it. I, I'm going to go off and see that 300 that's coming out oh, really? this weekend. It's been out, actually. Uh, two weeks it, Has it been out two weeks? Because I went. Yeah. Eh, we've been busy the last two weeks. You take control of the airwaves. You bring up what you want. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live, 800-259-9231. Your show. You bring up what you want. Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. You bring up what you want, toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8.net, toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. Join us online, freetalklive.com. All the features totally free that we do ask you voluntarily support us by voting for the show. Head over to vote.freetalklive.com. Takes you less than a minute. All you need is your email address. It won't be spammed. It won't be sold. All you need to do is just enter it into this quick little form, and it'll be verified to make sure you're a real person. And then your vote goes into our total. And our total right now is still keeping us at the number one show. That's good news, considering we've made it 19 days now as the nine, number one show in this particular month of March. It's true, but, but we, we are just a hair ahead of uh, number t- the, the Potter kids. The Potter guys. We oh, are boy. five votes Away from being number That's two. That's nothing. They could they could turn that by the end of this show. Absolutely, they could do it. They could do it in the next ten minutes. Right. So we need you to go to vote.freetalklive.com. If you've yet to do it this month, go now. Or if you're listening in your in your car, maybe leave yourself a message to remind yourself when you get home to go to vote.freetalklive.com because we really need as many votes as we can get. And if you've already voted, thank you very much. Also consider asking some friends or family members to vote for Free Talk Live as well. It's quick, it's easy, and it makes a difference because us being at the number one position means more new people find. Finding the show, thereby more new people finding the message of freedom and liberty. So if that's important to you, vote.freetalklive.com. So uh, we were talking about cameras and theaters and sort of technology. And, well, in the, in the technology realm, there's some, some more news uh, about this whole broadcasting on the Internet thing. We talked a couple weeks ago about the new rules and regulations that the feds have thrown out there that say that if you want to broadcast music on the Internet that you have to pay pretty exorbitant fees. Right. Uh, We took a look at the numbers, and they were stunningly high. In fact, there's an industry group that ran some of the numbers, and they discovered that it would be virtually impossible for smallish or small medium to small broadcasters to even come close to making a profit with these fees that they were talking about. And in fact, as it turns out, 
According to the AP, a wide array of broadcasters and online companies today challenged a ruling from a panel of copyright judges that they say could cripple the emerging business of offering music broadcasts over the Internet. Now, you know it's serious when Clear Channel jumps on board. Clear Channel's the largest broadcaster in America. They have more radio stations than any other broadcaster out there. And you'd think if anybody could afford these fees and these fines, or the the, the fees to run the Internet streams, mm-hmm. the Clear Channel could. But even they're throwing their hat into the ring and saying, whoa, this is crazy. This is way too much. Clear Channel, in fact, NPR, so the government challenging itself in this case, uh, and groups representing both large and small companies providing music broadcasts online were among those asking the Copyright Royalty Board to reconsider key parts of its March 2nd ruling. It's unfortunate that they're just asking and not saying, screw you, we're going to do it anyway and not pay you. Uh, that ruling, the tra- challenging parties say, would great, greatly increase the amount of royalties that online music broadcasters would have to pay record labels and performers, as well as put unreasonable demands on them to track how many songs were listened to by exactly how many individuals online. The royalties in question only apply to digital transmissions of music, such as through websites, and are paid to the performers of songs and record labels. Webcasters also pay additional royalties to the composers and publishers of music similar to those that are paid by over-the-air broadcasters. Digital performance rights were originally granted to record companies in 1995, in part with the intention of protecting them against the possibility that digital transmissions could erode the sales of CDs. Of course, anybody who knows anything about people who listen to things online probably realized that being able to hear something online for the first time leads to sales of CDs in many cases. It does. And, you know, some people buy simply because they got to hear it online. Right. You're hearing a a program content that you might not have heard anywhere else. You're hearing programming, and unlike radio, where you can't necessarily identify the song being played, online streaming, in 99% of the cases, identifies the song being played. So it's very easy to say, oh, yeah, I like this song. It's by who? Oh, so-and-so. I'll go look up so-and-so and buy their CD. This is what happens. Under a previous arrangement which expired at the end of 2005, broadcasters and online companies like Yahoo and AOL could pay royalties based on estimates of how many songs were played over a given period of time, or a tuning hour, as opposed to counting every single song. Jonathan Potter, the executive director of the Digital Media Association, which represents major online companies affected by the decision, asked the judges specifically allow a per-tuning-hour approximation measure for paying the royalties. He also asked judges to clarify a $500 annual fee per broadcasting channel, saying that some online companies offering many thousands of listening options, counting each one as a separate channel, could lead to huge fees for online broadcasters. Remember, uh, as we pointed out when this story first broke, if you uh, listen to the little Yahoo music service, and there are other things like this out there, you pick the songs. So... There's no channel for you to tune into. It Conceivably, everybody listening to Yahoo at any given time could be their own channel. Precisely. And that is not worth $500 per year. They're not getting that kind of money and subscriptions from people. They're getting, no. what, 20 bucks a year or something like that? I thought it was $9.95 a month. That seems a little steep, but it could be. Okay. Potter, uh, let's see, uh, NPR argued fi- in its filing that the new rules could have crippling effects on public radio's ability to meet its mandate of serving the public interest and objected to the $500 per channel minimum fee. A group of commercial broadcasters, including Clear Channel, the largest radio company in the country, also asked for a reconsideration of key parts of the ruling, saying that methods used to calculate the fees were faulty. 
Motions filed Monday covered relatively technical aspects of the ruling and marked the first of what is likely to be other legal challenges to the decision. NPR said in its filing it also intended in due course to appeal the overall decision by the copyright judges to the U.S. Court of Appeals in Washington. The previous agreement covering small commercial webcasters, which also expired at the end of 2005, allowed those companies to pay a flat rate of 12% of annual revenues in lieu of calculating the total number of listener hours. 12%? 12%? And this is the, those, are the ones, those are the regs that expired in 2005. Oh, my God. 12% of total gross revenue? Right. Instead of calculating the total number of listener hours as larger broadcasters That's and web companies were required to do. Incredible. Yeah. It's 12% percent incredible. That's highway robbery. It should be 1.2% or something like that. The ruling makes no such provision, something those companies are asking the judges to reconsider. So they're basically begging for the 12% back here, Mark. Yeah, no doubt. So SoundExchange, an entity that collects royalties from digital music broadcasters and distributes them to rights holders, has said the ruling was fair and that the rapid growth in advertising revenues from online music broadcasting would more than allow webcasters to cover the new fees. Sound Exchange pointed to research finding that those avenues, uh, red avenues, ad revenues grew from 50 million in 2003 to 500 million last year. So your thoughts at 800-259-9231. Anybody out there running a music channel? My thoughts are I can't believe it. I know one of our listeners has his own music channel. I don't know how he's handling this. Uh, let's go to Mark in Texas. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, Mark. Hey, Ian. Hey, Mark. How you doing? Hey, Great. Good. What's on your mind? Uh, well, actually, I have my own uh, Live 365 radio channel. How's this affecting you? Uh, well, it's all parody songs, so it doesn't really affect me. Mm. But uh, I'm really mad because for the last 10 to 15 to 20 years, I've been buying crap. I mean, you, you, you hear one song on a CD by an artist, and it's great, and you go out and buy the CD, and the rest of it is awful. Yeah, you know, I, so it's I amazing how that goes. What's that? It's amazing how that goes. I mean, that you know, there's one or two good songs on a, on a given given album, and then the rest of it's just something you don't want to hear ever. Right. And there was a class action lawsuit a couple years ago that uh, where they were overcharging people for the cost of the CDs, and uh, if you wanted to join in, you know, you could have and gotten two dollars or five dollars in the mail or whatever. Whoopee! R- completely ridiculous. But. I, I'm just mad at the entire recording industry for, for forcing us to, to pay $20 for 10 to 15 awful songs and getting one or two. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, a quick, quick question about the Live 365. That's, um, for listeners that don't know, it's a streaming service on the Internet. Uh, they used to be free way back in the day, and then uh, they got slapped with uh, with lawsuits and that sort of thing by the RIAA and the music industry. And so they started charging on a per-channel basis uh, all of its users to cover the costs of, of essentially paying these royalties. And, right. And it didn't matter if you were a talk program or if you were a music program. You had to pay this fee uh, to to broadcast with Live 365. Right. And I remember I used to be a user of their service back then, and it really ticked me off because I was airing talk content. And I thought, you know, this really sucks that I've got to pay essentially to um, to subsidize the music Channels. Yep, that's what's happening. And well, at the same time, I mean, uh, I do I do host a live show three times a week on there, and it is talk. But uh, the way I look at it, it's it's a dollar per live listener. What you do know, you? and with you guys, I mean, you've got a ton of listeners and stuff like that. With me, I'm small time. Mm-hmm. I've got very few listeners, but uh, I can afford the thirty, fifty, a hundred dollars a month 
that it costs uh, for a live talk show. And the rest of the time, it's all parody songs. You know what I mean? Very good, Mark. Thanks for the call. We appreciate hearing from you. 800-259-9231. If you're a webcaster, if you're somebody who's broadcasting music on the Internet, how is this ruling affecting you? Is it going to throw you out of business? Because it seems to me like if Clear Channel's stepping in and saying, Whoa! Way too expensive, then it's nowhere nowhere even near in reach to the little guys. More on the way. This is Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You bring up what you want toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's the packet, 8.net, toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features there are completely free, so enjoy those there on us, freetalklive.com. And Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project, your only choice for more personal freedom and smaller, less intrusive government. To learn more about joining the Second American Revolution, go to freestateproject.org. That is freestateproject.org. From outside of the free state to Rhode Island we go. Ryan Patrick Halligan was bullied for months online. Classmates sent the 13-year-old boy instant messages calling him gay. He was threatened, taunted, and insulted incessantly by so-called cyberbullies. In 2003, Ryan killed himself. Hmm. Ryan's father, John Halligan, uh, says he just went into a deep spiral in 8th grade. He couldn't shake this rumor. Uh, Mr. Halligan became a key proponent of a state law that forced Vermont schools to put anti-bullying rules in place. He's now pushing for a broader law to punish cyberbullying, often done at home or after school, and wants every other state to enact laws expressly prohibiting it. So apparently, uh, you How can the schools make rules on what you can do in your off time? Well, I, because I, Mr. Halligan wants them to. I guess. And this wouldn't be the first time. Uh, you remember there's a case actually right now that's in the Supreme Court uh, that happened in in Alaska. The guy with the bong hits for Jesus sign. You remember that uh, that story? Yeah. Young man uh, was protesting something and he held up a sign, or maybe he was just having fun. He held up a sign that said "bong hits for Jesus" outside of his school. There was some something going on at the school. I don't think it was a school day. I think it was some sort of I don't know fair or activity of some sort. Anyway, he was standing out there with the sign across the street from the school, That's not right. on school property. And the principal came over, tore his sign out of his hands, and now there's a Supreme Court case about it. So it's not the first time, and that's just one example of, of the ways that schools try to regulate what people do uh, outside, of, uh, outside of campus. States from Oregon to Rhode Island are considering crackdowns to curb or outlaw the behavior in which kids taunt or insult peers on social websites like MySpace or via instant messages. Still, there's some disagreement over how effective crackdowns will be and how to do it. Rhode Island State Senator John Tassoni says the kids are forcing our hands to do something legislatively. He wrote a bill to study cyberbullying. The kids are forcing us. It's for the children, Mark. Uh, he wrote a bill to study cyberbullying and hopes to pass a cyberbullying law by late 2007. George McDonough, uh, an uh, education coordinator with Rhode Island's Department of Education, says, but others argue legislation would be ineffective. He concedes the Internet has become an instant slam book, but questions whether laws can stem bad behavior. 
He said, you can't legislate norms, you can only teach norms. Just because it's a law doesn't mean they necessarily follow it. I mean, look at the speed limit. The Internet allows students to insult others in relative anonymity. And experts who study cyberbullying say it can be more damaging to victims than traditional bullying like fistfights and classroom taunts. Now, I wonder why that would be. Because it's new. (laughs) <laughs> really <laughs> because we won't get any uh we won't get any press if we say that this is not as uh as 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 effective as regular bullying so we must say it's worse i think you're right about that mark because it seems to me as somebody who faced a little bit of this when i was in school uh not cyberbullying but the real thing it seems to me that it's a lot scarier when you're dealing with someone who's physically larger than you threatening you in person than a text message that comes through from some anonymous coward online. How could that possibly be worse? I the latter, that is. I don't know. Um, I, you know, these these experiences are pretty far removed from me at 36, but uh, you know, certainly experienced bullying in school, as I'm sure everybody has. And uh, you didn't kill yourself. It's no fun. Uh, but you know, and I, I can imagine it was really tough for this kid. I can imagine it was. You know, when wh- he's he was probably pretty effeminate, uh, just a guess. And people said he was gay, and and that really stinks. It, yeah, it's really it's it's a crappy way to have to go through school. When but, you're in middle school, it, you're really subject uh, subject to these sorts of things. Uh, this is when it happens for kids. Is when they're in middle school. Mm-hmm. Uh, the internet allows students to insult others with relative anonymity. Legislators and educators say there's a need for guidelines outlining how to punish cyberbullying. They say the behavior has gone unchecked for years, with few laws or policies on the books explaining how to treat it. You know, if this is so bad, how come we haven't heard about it before? We've been doing this show for four years, four plus years. I've never once had a story about so-called cyberbullying. It's often limited to online insults about someone's physical appearance, friends, clothing, or sexuality. But some cyberbullies are more creative. In Washington State, a bully stole a girl's instant message username and used it to send out insulting messages. In New York, two high school boys were accused of operating an Internet site that listed girls' sexual secrets. Prosecutors decided not to charge the boys because of free speech concerns. Stephen Brown, yeah, I mean, this is definitely a free speech issue. I would have to say it is. I mean... It's pretty tacky to uh, go and find out girls' sexual secrets or make them up or whatever and put it on the Internet. But, you know, I mean, hopefully the boys will be exposed. And it it would seem like something that the, uh, the school newspaper could address. Yeah, and shouldn't parents just be dealing with this on their own? I mean, I don't know much about this whole texting phenomenon. This is after my time as well, but it seems to be big amongst the kids today. You know, the little, they've mm-hmm. got the little... See you Tuesday or whatever text messages mm-hmm. that they type in. Well, I don't know much about it, but it would seem to me that from my knowledge of at least online instant messaging, you know, with the AIM and the Yahoo Instant Messenger and these various different online services, there's usually a block function. So if somebody were to find... No, texts aren't nearly easy, as easy to block. Okay, okay. Because uh, you have to have the, the person's phone number to send them the text, right? Um. Yeah, I've I've actually tried to block uh, texts in the past. Um. You know, from specific from a specific phone number, and I haven't had a lot of luck. So you would essentially, it seems to me that um, these young people need to be a little bit more discriminatory about who they give their phone number to, right? Probably true. Because it's, there, a, cell, it's and, a cell phone number. It's not listed in any sort of directory. I don't know about all cell phones, but uh, my particular cell phone does have uh, aftermarket software that you can get uh, put on the cell phone to. 
take care of this. Yeah, I, I would a, think that you've got a spiffy cell phone with the palm operating system and all that. Most people just have the cheapy cell phone that you get with a plan. That, there like has I do. to they don't be have at some point there. Um, if if there isn't now, there definitely will be an effective way to block texts because you have to pay for them coming in if you don't have one of these unlimited text plans. Mm-hmm. And um, which you presume most kids would. It's it's presumption, yeah. but it doesn't make it true. Um, you know you. If you, you have to pay for them, and they're annoying, right? Um, that's you know I don't I don't get them personally because I don't engage in the whole texting process. But it would seem to me that it's all about protecting your privacy. You know, if kids want to go around and spread their phone number to every single person in school so they can get re- receive text messages from everybody, well then there's a good chance that somebody who doesn't like you is going to send something mean mm-hmm. because that's the way middle school kids are. They're mean little brats, and so this is what happens. So I think the issue should be. That if this little boy's dad, who this poor kid who killed himself, Ryan's dad, is alerted to the fact that his son is receiving these unwanted text messages, he sits, he could sit down with his son instead of turning to mommy government, which is what he's doing. And this is indicative of this problem we have with parents today, right. turning to government to solve their problems. As though, when, you know, and, and the, 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 he could get rid of his IM. He doesn't have to go on instant. He doesn't have to get on um, online an instant instant message. He doesn't have to have a cell phone. That's what I'm saying. If he has to have a cell phone, if his parents want him to, because a lot of parents today want to have, want to give their kids cell phones for the purpose of being able to call them, uh, for the purpose of being able to track them. They now have the tracking features as well. So there are reasons why parents might want their kids to have a cell phone, in which case his father could just simply say, look, Ryan, um, let's, you know, we need to sit down and talk about privacy. Okay. The only reasons these bullies, these so-called cyber bullies have your phone number is because you gave it to somebody. And then they gave it to them. You need to either be very careful and selective about who you give your number out to or don't give your number out to anybody. And so you want this problem to be solved. You solve it on your own using private methods, using that sort of solution. Call the cell phone company. Demand that they institute blocking software in their phones. If this is really as big of a problem as they say it is, and this article claims it's a huge problem, then certainly parents should be calling their cell phone companies and complaining to them. Let us block certain numbers. 800-259-9231. Do you have kids? Is this a problem for them? And how did you solve it as a parent? I know our listeners didn't turn to mommy government, so give me some creative solutions here. 800-259-9231. More about these whiners and what they want from their mommy governments here in moments. And your calls as well about what you want. 800-259-9231. That is the Packet8.net toll-free line. And this is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You bring up anything toll-free. 800-259-9231, the packet8.net toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us online, freetalklive.com. All the features completely free, including the wiki, wiki.freetalklive.com. Over 1,200 unique pages created by listeners like you. You can go in there and you can edit virtually anything you see on the wiki. WIKI.freetalklive.com gets you to it. That's wiki.freetalklive.com. Do you have a company that needs to try something new in the area of collections? SACL CAI does collections, early out billing, and they purchase charged off receivables. SACL's employees are trained in resolving issues for your customers and treating them with respect. They know that not only do you want to collect your money, but you want to keep those clients too. SACL CAI, check out their banner at freetalklive.com or call 1 800 544 6359. Do business with businesses that support FTL. Our number is 800-259-9231. We're talking about 
apparently a relatively new phenomenon called cyberbullying. It involves people of a younger set, probably in their middle school age to maybe early high school age range. Uh, they're early teens, basically, sending mean messages over cell phones and instant messaging services. Apparently, one kid allegedly killed himself because he got too many instant messages claiming that he was a gay boy. And uh, and it seems a little bit of an extreme response to uh, what's essentially no more than text. Uh, I understand there's there's mean kids in school, and there always will be, but I don't think that the solution is what that this kid's dad wants, and that is a law outlawing this particular behavior. I think that there there can be some market-based solutions here that parents can, can do on their own with their kids, with their cell phone providers. There doesn't need to be legislation. You know, to even call this bullying seems unfair to people that are getting bullied. Um, That's a good point. Yeah, actually, you know, physically threatened by people, threatened or beaten up. Yeah. Um. You know, these thrown these, in trash cans. These things can really happen and do really happen every single day in school. And to call this cyberbullying, it's it's just not fair. This isn't. Look, if you don't want to get text messages, you can solve that problem. You can get a phone that doesn't receive text messages. Yeah. It's pretty easy. Or don't, as I pointed out, don't give out your number. Let's go to the phones and talk to Nigel in Texas. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, Nigel. Hi. Hey, what's on your mind? Um, well, you know, I might have missed this while I was dialing in, but did this kid ever talk to his parents? Because, I mean, now, I'm 17, and so I dealt with deal- bullying fairly recently. I'm in college now, so not a problem now. But, uh, you know, I talked to my parents, and we figured out how to deal with it like that. Did this kid ever do that? And if so, why did his parents not do anything? I don't know. The article doesn't get into that sort of detail. Um Based on what his father says, it makes it seem like his dad was aware of it. Uh, he says, quote, he just went into a deep spiral in eighth grade. He couldn't shake this rumor. So it almost makes it sound like dad was well aware of this problem. Well, I mean, if it was that bad, aren't there, isn't there more than one school nearby? I mean, they could have switched schools if it was that horrendous, you would think. You would think, but this dad doesn't seem to be the kind of dad that wants to take any sort of action on his own. He, right, again, apparently, he's looking for a law okay. to solve his problems. Apparently, um, you know, the the school's just pr- supposed to provide the, uh, the a bully-free environment. I, I just don't understand. There's so many things that could have been done in this circumstance, and hindsight's twenty twenty, and you never know exactly what you should have done, but... Well, I'd like to point out that if this were a private school, there very well could be a bully-free environment. For well, instance, I mean, I really think if you put two middle school kids together, there's going to be some bullying going on. That's sort of the nature of the beast. Oh, I but. understand that, but my point being that if there really is a bully at a school, and he really is causing trouble for some of the, the students there at a private school, the private school is going to have parents showing up to the office saying, hey, you know, so-and-so is allegedly bullying my son, and uh, I'd like it to stop, or I'm going to pull my son from your school. The s- school is either going to take some sort of uh, discipline out against that kid and solve the problem, or they're going to lose business. So in a market-based school system, I would say it's less likely that bullying, if if it were happening, would continue to happen at a, at a market-based school. Yeah, and to back that up, when when I was in middle school and I went into the principal's office or whatever to talk about it, you know, I got the talk. Which I got talk is it? To, like, I got, they never called in the people, I mentioned people that were causing me problems, and you mm-hmm. know, they never called in anybody, they never really did anything about it, they just talked to me. Now, I eventually learned how to handle it myself, but, I mean, they never did anything about what happened. They yeah, well, so they don't it. care. Yeah, they don't. Exactly right. Nigel, any other thoughts? 
Nope, that's it. Thank you, sir. 800-259-9231. Stephen Brown, the executive director of the Rhode Island branch of the ACLU, said it'll be difficult to draft a cyberbullying law that doesn't infringe on free speech rights. Quote, the fact that two teenagers say nasty things about each other is part of growing up. How much authority does a school have to monitor, regulate, and punish activities occurring inside a student's home? And I'm a little bit scared with the idea that the schools can continue this sort of uh, tentacle-like reach that they're getting outside of their actual school boundaries into not only on the school bus, but to the uh, the bus stop when I was into and then now even into the, the homes of these kids. This is really disturbing. It's almost 1984. Like I remember when I was in school, there were a couple of uh, young girls on the the bus that uh, me and some of the other people at the bus stop, we all didn't really get along. There was a bit of a clash between two factions at the school bus stop. And there was a, you know, there was I don't I wouldn't call it bullying. It was Yeah, I can see how it is. When you're doing it, it's not bullying. <laughs> but when other people did it to you, you were the victim of bullying. These girls were mean, mean girls. Let me tell you that. And uh, <laughs> of course they all are. Anyway, there were uh there were there was some conflict, let's call it that. I the, mean uh, the, the victims of bullying. I don't mean girls or mean mean. School bus, right. The school bus stop. And uh, I remember that the, the school got involved. The parents of these girls went, uh, the, first of all, the girls made up a bunch of crap that we didn't do, uh, went and told their parents that we'd done these things. And then that went up to, went to the school level, and people got punished for what essentially happened at the school bus stop. Not on the school bus, not at school, but at a you know a piece of road on the side of somebody's house. Mm. And so you know I noticed this happening back when I was in school. I didn't realize the implications at the time. It did seem a little bit strange to me because I did realize that at that time that hey wait a minute we weren't really even on school property. How is it that they can do this? Well they do it and nobody objects to it. So they take one more step. And then nobody objects to that. And then they take another step, and nobody objects to that. And soon they're con- they're in control of your kids when they're at home. Soon, if you don't uh, if you don't ma- uh, mandate your, that your kids spend time on homework, maybe you're going to get brought up on charges. Maybe that's what's next. States are taking a different approach to the problem, or different approaches. South Carolina law that took effect this year requires school districts to define bullying and outline policies. For and repercussions for the behavior, including cyberbullying, one school district there has proposed punishments from warnings up to expulsion for both traditional bullying and cyberbullying. Now, what I'd like to know is if we're going to have punishments, when I say we, I mean the government, uh, if the government's going to be punishing people for this alleged cyberbullying, what sort of evidence will they require? Are you going to look at the messages on the kid's phone to verify that he did indeed receive these messages? Well, I would assume that uh, the the victim of the bullying would would hand over some evidence. And and if there is such evidence on the victim's side, then how are you going to prove that it was the individual that the victim is alleging it was that was sending the text messages? If it came A little from, bit of detective work seems like that would solve that problem. If it came from that number... Well, that that may very well be some evidence, but there's no guaranteeing that the phone didn't fall into the hands of someone else who then used the phone to send the text messages. It's true. There's no way to prove who sent these things. What if it were sent from some sort of an anonymizing device? I well, mean, this gets... Is the school district going to be responsible for investigating this stuff? Bullying's a pattern, and I would hope they would show a pattern. More is on the way. You take control of the airwaves. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. Your bullying stories, if you got them. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. 
Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You bring up anything toll-free, 800-259-9231, the packet 8.net toll-free line. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com, where all the features are totally free. And that does include updates. You get signed up. We clue you in whenever there's something fresh to announce about the show. Know it first if you're on the updates list at updates.freetalklive.com. That's updates.freetalklive.com. And Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project, your only choice for more personal freedom and smaller, less intrusive government. To learn more about joining the Second American Revolution, go to freestateproject.org. That's freestateproject.org. So, uh, to the email box from Marlin. He says, I've heard the topic on your show about privatization of the criminal justice system in prisons, that arbitrators would be contracted to decide punishments for individuals who have committed crimes, and that both the defense and prosecution would have to agree to accept the terms of the arbitrator after the decision is made, and if both parties do not agree, then a new arbitrator is sought out. This is the way I interpreted it from your show. And I'd say you got it pretty close, Marlon. Says, if this is indeed the case, I see potential flaws in this. One, if there isn't any local government-controlled law enforcement, who and on what terms would investigate the crimes in the first place? So this is more of a, uh, an email for you because, uh, you know, I, I don't really support this whole uh, DRO, completely uh, free market solution like you do. Right. I, I'm not necessarily a supporter of DROs myself. Okay. Uh, I'm just a supporter of allowing the marketplace to handle everything instead of a coercive gang gotcha um so to answer his question um and you know you're, you're certainly free to brainstorm here mark even though you might not support it um to answer number one is who would investigate crimes in the first place let's say there's a murderer running around just killing people um and well who's going to look into it who has a financial incentive to look into to trying to determine who the murderer is. Well, I think there's, it's likely that uh, lots of people would want to find out who the murder, murderer is, and, and they would put private investigators, many of them, on the case. I don't think it would necessarily be individuals. It would be businesses who are ensuring the protection of individuals. Likely. Uh, that would likely hire the PIs. It could happen uh, other ways as well. But mm-hmm. if people have protection agencies, which would essentially be insurance companies... Because there really wouldn't be a lot of protection necessary in a free market situation. It would be an armed society, and of course that tends to be a polite society. So a murderer probably wouldn't last too long in a free market situation. Uh, Somebody going around just trying to take people out inevitably is going to come up against someone who's going to take him out. Right. If there's no no police, it's likely that people would be carrying weapons. Um, Right. You know, it just... It makes good sense to me. There's there's states, for instance, New Hampshire, you can carry a gun around any place that a business owner will let you walk in. It's state law that you can carry a gun on your hip. Right. So if, if as soon as a murder happens, it's going to be reported to whatever agency it is that is taking care of the, the, the people involved. And they're going, and this is just how I, how I envision it. If you've got a different vision, please, 800-259-9231. I'm not going to be the one who are creating these agencies. So this is just one idea. But the agencies are going to get involved, and they're immediately going to determine whether or not this is a crime of passion. I mean, it's probably going to be they're going to put their investigators on the case and talk to the people that are in the immediate surrounding uh, vicinity as Mm -hmm. far as uh, family members and the usual suspects, right? Because a a lot of the guys who are in policing today, they do know what they're doing with uh, investigating uh, murders, 
you know, they know who to look at first. They know and in, traditionally who the suspects when are. When it comes to a mass murderer, the, the police are motivated to catch the guy simply because they're going to get all kinds of acclaim and that kind of thing. It's, uh, on the other hand, if they're looking for your television set, they're not as likely to uh, worry about it. As, and the insurance companies are looking for a claim as well. They're looking to be able to brag that, hey, you know, we bring these murderers to just, uh, justice as soon as, as soon as possible. You know, here's our track record. Here's who we've caught. Instead of trying to shove, th- shove things under the rug, as many police departments do when, get, when they have dead leads and that sort of thing. But anyway, they would investigate the obvious leads, the close personal connections, that sort of thing. But let's say that turns up dry. Let's say it is a total random stranger who's going around murdering people, like we had down in Arizona, I think it was last year, where they had the two strangers just going around bumping people off in the streets, and the police couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. Um, in, in a case like that, then different insurance companies would step invo- would get involved. Because if there's a mass murderer going running around killing people, there are a variety of different insurance companies insuring people. All of those insurance companies want to make sure that that murderer comes to justice because any one of their their customers is at risk. And if one of their customers is at risk and gets bumped off, it's right. going to make them look bad. A million-dollar policy isn't going to be uh, – that they're going to have to pay out. It's going to be a big thing, too. There's, there's that as well. And so then you're going to have not just one insurance company doing the investigating, but several competing insurance companies competing to find who this murderer is. They, they, may, they may not even want to um, compete. They may decide to work together. That's true. They could pool their resources and that sort of thing. But my point is the competition would, would make things like that happen, whereas with a government uh, police agency, well, if you're a homeless man, you're probably not – if the homeless man is a victim, they're probably not going to get investigated too well. But even if somebody's going around bumping off homeless people in the free market society, you still have to um, run those investigations because that's a danger to anybody. There's a there's a serious danger there, and those companies it's their job to protect people, so they'll they'll do that. Number two, he says, once it's been determined who the suspect is during an investigation, how's the suspect tried for his alleged criminal activity? Is an arbitrator appointed for trials as well? If so, what happens if the suspect continues to maintain his innocence and refuses to accept any arbitrator's decision pertaining to guilty verdict and or sentencing? And this is where it gets really interesting. Um, because it's that's a that's a very tough series of questions. In that, in a voluntary society, you can't initiate force on anybody. Obviously, the murderer is initiating force on the on his victims, and at that time, the victim certainly has the right to counter with the for with uh, an equal amount of force and and kill that person if they're being threatened. But what if they get away with the murder and then after the fact say, oh, it wasn't me, when the, when the insurance company comes and, and tries to, uh, to bring them to arbitration? But, yeah, or um, what if the insurance company wants to get some evidence out of their house? I mean, I would imagine that that would be very difficult. Right. So anyway, what could happen, and again, this is all what I'm thinking of. Um, there's an excellent book that I recommend, The Market for Liberty, which sort of goes into this in a little bit more detail, and I, I owe it to myself to read it again to, to help internalize it better. But – Basically, in a free market society, it's likely we'd have some sort of a reputation rating system, sort of like how there's a credit system today, and everybody has a credit score, whether it's good or it's bad, depending on a variety of actions that they personally take. Just about everybody has one. And so in a number of your transactions in throughout your daily life, whether it be getting an apartment to rent or getting a job, that sort of thing, you'd be entering into agreements with various different organizations and people. And in those agreements, there may be caveats like, well, you know, if, if you're wanted for murder, 
or if you're wanted for some serious crime, we're going to insist that as our employee here at Johnny's dish, you know, Johnny's uh, diner, that you actually go to arbitration so we don't look bad. And so that their insurance company doesn't drop them. Right. So there's going to be these sort of interlocking agreements here where if somebody comes to you and says, hey, you know, you're, we're going to bring you to arbitration on murder charges, you've got an interest in going. One of the reasons you have an interest in going, especially if you're innocent, is to show to the arbitrators that you're an innocent man and that for some reason this insurance company has labeled you as a murderer and you want to clear your name. Because if you aren't innocent, then that and that insurance company brings you to arbitration, they're going to go to the arbitrator whether or not you show up, and they're going to present evidence to this arbitrator, mm. and they're going to say, okay, well, here's what we've got. This guy, you know, we want him for murder. We want him coming into this arbitration. We want him to do, you know, we want him to, to make good on, on his crime as well as, as he possibly can, to restitute the victims as much as he possibly can, but he's not coming to trial. Anyway, here's what we have on him. And then the arbitrator might just simply say, Looks pretty clear to me. He's not even here to defend himself. Um, and so here's our verdict. Um, this guy's guilty. So therefore, his reputation just all of a sudden just takes a major hit. All of the companies that uh, that he interacts with are essentially alerted by the arbitrator or by the insurance company or whatever agency do, does that sort of sort of thing to the fact that this guy has just been con- he hasn't shown up for his own trial. He's been convicted of murder and he becomes a pariah in the system in this particular system we're talking about now he can't rent an apartment he's been evicted from his apartment he's been uh, fired from his job he can't go anywhere else and uh, there's more to this 800-259-9231 this is just my vision how the marketplace would actually handle this it's hard to say but the fact is consumer demand would be satisfied and people demand to not be murdered more on the way this is free talk live This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up what you want, toll free, 800-259-9231. Even in these remaining moments, enough time for your call at 800-259-9231, the packet8.net toll-free line. Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us online, freetalklive.com, the place to go. All the features free, though we do ask you voluntarily support the show by becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier at amp.freetalklive.com. Amp stands for Advertise, Market, and Promote. And the idea is simple. If you like the show and you like the fact that we give away all the features on the website, unlike those other radio talk show hosts who want to charge you for their sites, um, then support us on a voluntary basis for as little as 3 bucks a month. I mean, that's less than the price of a cup of coffee, and you're supporting the probably the only show out there with a consistent pro-liberty viewpoint. Um, if that's valuable to you, head over to amp.freetalklive.com and learn about the program. Learn about how we're spending the money, more importantly, like on industry advertising to get more radio stations on board, Internet advertising as well, as well as other important things we need to do to promote Free Talk Live. There's a whole laundry list of things we're doing with the money there at amp.freetalklive.com, as well as a list of uh, the 350 or so people, and there, minus a, plus or minus a few. Um, some would like to remain anonymous, obviously but as well as a list of our amplifiers, um, which we really appreciate, all the people who've been on board with the program, some of them as far back as from when it started, like almost two years ago now. That's a lot of people sticking around. Yeah, it's really incredible, just incredible support. And uh, so thanks to our amplifiers, they make it happen for Free Talk Live. And you get a few perks as well. So get all the details at amp.freetalklive.com. We're talking about a pretty important issue, and honestly, one that I'm just now beginning to really get a grasp on, really uh, starting to understand this better uh, than I ever have in the past, and it's thanks to a great book by the Tannehills, Morris and Linda Tannehill. It's called The Market for Liberty, 
and I highly recommend this book. You can purchase it through, I believe, the Mises Institute. I found out about it originally at LouRockwell.com, and it, they just do a tremendous job of taking a bunch of intellectual stuff, like from Rothbard and all those intellectual-type writers, mm-hmm. the academic sort of writings, which I can't, I really can't handle reading because I'm just not smart enough, you know? And it sort of boils it down to the essence. It makes it so you can really understand these uh, these concepts. They do a really great job of it. And it's a relatively short book as well, uh, The Market for Liberty. But Marlin from Houston is asking a few questions about private law and enforcement in private law. For instance, in a, a murder case or some sort of criminal activity, you know, if you're being, let's, I mean, we don't even have to make it murder. We can just make it vandalism or something else like that. Where if we have a free market society where there's no government anymore and, and somebody's doing something unlawful, someone's breaking uh, the rules, how are they punished? How are they brought to justice if everything's done on a voluntary basis? And I pointed out that uh, that in this theoretical society, there will be likely interlocking agreements between individuals and businesses for whom they work or, or interact with that will require them to go to arbitration if an arbitrator is requesting their appearance. If, it's, if they're being accused of something, they, on their own, would have an incentive to go because they don't want their reputation ruined, especially if they're not, you know, if they're not guilty of the crimes they're being charged with. You'd have a reason to, uh, to go to the arbitrator. And, of course, you know that in the marketplace, the arbitration would be quick. It wouldn't be months and months and months, like with maybe years, like it is with government courts. So you could, rel- you could actually be guaranteed a speedy trial. And you'd want to go to defend yourself, and you'd, you'd feel confident in it, because you'd know that the arbitrators are reliable. Unlike government courts, which depend on the whims of individual judges, ar- arbitrators have to be beholden to their clientele. If they're not satisfying their clients, both the accused and the accusers, as far as satisfying them with an, uh, a mutually agreeable punishment... Uh, that sort of thing with uh, with finding with arbitrating the correct cases and and not accepting frivolous cases and that sort of thing. There are a variety of different reasons why people are unsatisfied with the current system that arbitration can fix. Arbitrators will only get business based on how well satisfied their clients are. So you don't have to really be concerned about the the corruption problems that we see in the courtroom today, the judicial activism problems that we see in uh, in government courtrooms today. Many of these uh, these objections can be solved by the market-based system. In addition, remember, if somebody's going to bring charges in an arbitration situation, the loser's going to have to pay. Right, and so you know they're not going to just bring frivolous suits. It's unlikely that they will because, well, they're going to pay for it if they do. Frivolous suits will be more unlikely, and especially suits that involve serious crimes. I mean, you're talking about a murder? You're talking about completely ruining somebody's reputation right. for life. And that's serious. So the insurance company who's going to bring the murder charges, they better have their case together. If they come to an an arbitrator with a a sloppy case or something like that, then the ruling's going to go against the insurance company, especially if they've got the wrong person or something terrible like that. And it's possible a mistake like that could be made. But in the marketplace, the insurance companies, unlike government, will have an incentive to double and triple check their evidence to make sure they've got the right guy. Because if they bring the wrong guy to trial in, ar- in arbitration, and the arbit- you know the guy comes and defends himself and says, hey, you know, I was here at work at this time, or, or whatever his, wor- his defense is, 
and it turns out that the insurance company's got a shoddy case, that's a major ruling against the insurance company's reputation. Who wants to buy from an insurance company that's going to be bringing the wrong people up on charges? That damages their reputation. They're going to have a hard time getting and retaining clients, which means they could very well go out of business, which the government police never go out of business. They can botch up case after case, send the wrong people to prison for, for 20 years, 10 years at a time, and there's never any sort of punishment. If there's anything that comes out of it, then it's taxpayers that pay that person who got released from prison early. It's just It would be a completely different system. Right, police and DA. They, they aren't held responsible for uh, mistakes that they make. and, and that, that ruin kind of people's lives. And they absolutely do. I would say that this is uh, one of the most difficult uh, uh, questions that face the, the people that promote the, the, the free market sort of idea sure that there is. would be no government at all. Police, it's tough stuff. But, um, you know, we did manage to make it in this country without uh, police for a very, very very long time. We had court systems, but we didn't have police. Mm-hmm. Um, we had peace officers. Yeah, well, you know, even before that, there were, you know, some soldiers here and there, but uh, essentially people handled it on their own. They brought people to, to trial and, and, and that kind of thing without police. You mean there weren't mass murderers running around? Um, you know, I, I think Jack the Ripper might be the first mass murderer that, uh, you know, on record. Didn't they have police back then in, in Great Britain? I think they had police in Great at, Britain. At about that time. that time, yeah. Uh, anyway, just a few more thoughts from Marlin. He says, I'm a fan of the show and a loyal listener since my girlfriend introduced me to the show about three months ago. I work nights, miss the live broadcast, but I do listen to the podcast version, which leaves me little time for a uh, butt for sleep during the week. So if you could give a brief rundown, I'd appreciate it, which we did. I like the idea of privatization of the, of, of privatization of the criminal justice system and the rating reputation points eBay system. I just have a hard time grasping how all of this would be implemented. Love the show. Learn more each day I listen from Marlon. And I understand, Marlon. I had a hard time grasping it at first. I understood, you know, when I became a libertarian back when I was 18, so almost a decade ago at this point, uh, when I became a libertarian, I understood what I was signing. And I was signing an agreement that said I don't support the initiation of force to achieve political or social goals. I totally understood what that meant. I just didn't quite understand how it understood. uh, I didn't understand at the time how it applied to every single issue. And I had to figure that out. And so that's what I've been doing for the last nine years is sort of learning over time, you know, how these different issues uh, can be affected in the marketplace, how we can replace uh, the government with market-based functions and how it can all work. But as I pointed out, this is just these are just ideas that we've had on the show over time that Morris and Linda Tannehill outline in their book, The Market for Liberty. But does it mean that's how it's going to work? It's defi- How will it be implemented? It's no. definitely something that uh, the, the public's going to demand. They're going to demand to be safe. They're going to be uh, demand uh, to not be in fear of um, people that are willing to do violence against them. Right. Um, and if you look at the, what the market provides for safety now, it can give you some sort of glimmer of introspection into how this might work in the future. You look at how market, the market provides uh, safety services from personal safety like guns and pepper spray and uh, you know a variety of different personal safety devices mm-hmm. to locks on front doors there are a variety of different things um, alarm systems that help keep people safe that help keep crimes from even happening in the first place and then there are other um, systems like security guards in in private neighborhoods even neighborhood watches as well go a long way to to making people safe they sure do. so these are all extra governmental things that these things probably have more effect on preventing crime than any amount of governmental effort ever does in today's society. 
So it's likely because of the market that we're more safe today than it. It's more likely that it's because of the market that we're more safe than it is a couple of extra cop cars being put on the streets. There are lots of new things in personal safety. Right. So it's something that deserves some some thought. It's something that deserves some uh, some understanding. And it's something that you really do have to put some thought into to start to, to, to be able to grasp as to just how, you know, when the market responds to consumer demand, what it will do. And that's the that's the hard part is predicting that. And a lot of people want that prediction to be made in advance. We could be wrong. The market could organize itself in a different fashion. But the fact is certain things don't change, and that is that market-based organizations compete to satisfy demand. And if what people want is to be safe, then people in search of profit will provide it. How exactly it will come about, that remains to be seen. It's been Ian here with you. And Mark. See you tomorrow night online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supplies, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com.